If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. John chapter 2, we begin reading with verse number 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The title of my message today is Jesus Turns It Around. Jesus Turns It Around. You know, it's a, it's a story as old as time, the, the story of bad situations being turned around. I know, I know sports fans, football season's coming. I know some of you uh, football fans are getting ready for your teams, and I know, I know Brother Dave Nichols is all excited about the new commander season. <laughs> He's shaking his head no. Uh, but... Uh, you know, can they turn it around? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a story in sports about a, a coach or a, a series of coaches who come in and take a bad situation, turn it around. It's, it's also true in business. You know, uh, a lot of you are too young to remember, but a man named Lee Iacocca, uh, who had invented the Ford Mustang, he went to Chrysler and that uh, company was on the verge of bankruptcy, and he, he turned that company around. We think of political leaders who turn around bad situations. And so uh, it's a great story when a bad situation gets turned around. Well, Jesus specializes in turning things around. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? How many can say he's turned your life around? Hey, hallelujah, glory to God. And in the passage before us, now, this might not seem like a big deal, you know, but uh, a, a wedding feast was a big, big deal. And this, at this particular wedding, uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the, the, the host ran out of wine. Now, I'm not going to get into uh, the, the, the wine and uh, the, the concept of alcohol and, and, and drinking. I'm not going to talk about 
you know, the fact that the, the, the alcoholic content of wine in those days was not comparable to, to uh, what is uh, common today, that's a, that's a message for another time. But it was a huge social blunder, a faux pas, if you will, to run out of wine at a wedding. Suffice to say that. And so... Um, this, this was a problem. Now, again, it might not seem like that big a deal to you and me, but uh, you would lose social standing. It, it, it was an unmitigated disaster. And Jesus turns this situation around. Now, you and I can probably think of much more uh, consequential situations in our lives that we have faced and maybe are facing today and are wanting to know if there is someone, some way that it can be turned around. I'm here to tell you that as long as Jesus is in the picture, no matter how bad the situation, it can be turned around because that's what Jesus does. Amen? How can you be certain of that, Pastor Tim? Well, I'm glad you asked. <coughs> Excuse me, because that's the question I want to answer in the next few minutes. Why can we count on Jesus to turn our situation around? Why can we count on Jesus to turn our situation around? I want to share three reasons we can count on Jesus to turn the situation around. The first reason we can count on Jesus to turn our situation around is this. It's because with Jesus, problems become opportunities. With Jesus, problems become opportunities. When it was discovered that the wine had run out, Jesus' mother Mary turns to him and says, they have no more wine. Now, th this miracle is the first recorded miracle of Jesus' ministry. He had not yet publicly revealed himself to be a miracle worker. Uh, but, of course, Mary knew who he was. The angel had spoken to her, telling her he would, she would bear the Messiah, and she knew that... Uh, who he was and so she turned to him as the solution because Mary knew even though Jesus had not as far as we know uh, uh, performed any miracles especially not in public she knew that with Jesus a problem was nothing more than an opportunity I love that uh, years ago we were at a conference uh, uh, outdoor retreat weekend retreat, and Ben Kinchlow, some of you may remember that name, he was on the 700 Club years ago along with uh, Pat Robertson. I always remember him saying, with God, problems are merely opportunities. Hallelujah. I, 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 what, a, what a great mentality to have, that problems are opportunities. And that was Mary's mindset. Now Jesus responds to her and says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Now, Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mother, but he was referring to her. He uh, was acknowledging that their relationship had changed. She was still his mother, of course, but he was now an adult. He was now being ready to launch, be launched into public ministry. And though he said, my time has not yet come, uh, she impressed upon him, and for some reason he, she, he acceded to her request to perform the miracle that would take place. But that was a pattern with Jesus. Problems were opportunities. We see all through the Gospels him healing the sick, uh, the lame, the blind, 
the, the, the lepers, you name it. It was a problem to them, but to Jesus it was just an opportunity to display who he was. Remember when he was on the boat in the storm and the disciples were afraid for their lives. And Jesus, who had been sleeping in the boat, I love that, don't you? Jesus was sleeping in the boat. He got up and he looked at the wind and the waves and he said two words. He said, be still. The wind stopped. The waves became calm. The disciples said to themselves, who is this? Who is this? The wind and the waves obey him. You see, they were at risk for their lives. I would call that a problem, wouldn't you? That's understating it. To them it was a problem, to him it was an opportunity. Thousands of people in the middle of the day, hungry. No food except a young boy's lunch. Barely enough to feed a growing boy, let alone thousands of people. That's a problem. Not to Jesus. Have them sit down, Jesus said. And you know the story in John chapter 6. He prayed over the, the loaves and the fish. And he multiplied them. Not only did they have enough for thousands, there were 12 basketfuls left over. You see, it was a problem to them, to Jesus. It was an opportunity. We serve a miracle-working God. Hallelujah. And I have no doubt that those of you who are here today, those of you who are watching online, you could rattle off a list of problems you're dealing with. I can. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And I know we get weary sometimes. Listen, I'm, I'm right there with you. And you get tired of, I, I even said the other day, I'm tired sometimes of solving problems, or having problems to solve. And, and, you know, some we can solve our, ourselves. Some are beyond us. But to Jesus, there are opportunities. I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. When uh, my, my children were young, my two girls, um, my wife Sharon was driving um, my oldest daughter, uh, Lauren, to preschool. And um, my youngest daughter, Stephanie, was in the back seat in her car seat. It was uh, late spring, uh, but a time when it's still cool in the morning. So um, uh, Stephanie had on her heavy coat, you know, in the car because it was, it was cool. And um, uh, Sharon parked the car and got out with Lauren. And this was before the days of, you know, remote entry to the cars. And and, and, and somehow had left the keys in the car. She was at the school, and the car was locked. And she tried every door, and, and all four doors were locked. And uh, crowds started to gather around. She was panicking, not really knowing what to do. And she could see, as the minutes went by, Stephanie, even though it was a cool day, locked inside that sealed car with the heavy coat on. She be began to sweat and uh, was becoming uncomfortable and people were coming by one man said man we're gonna have to break the window get in your car and just as they were preparing to do that my wife said she heard a click keep in mind she had tried all four doors she heard a click and that car those car doors were unlocked you see it was a problem but to Jesus it's an opportunity he still works miracles today Nothing phases him. Nothing causes him to fear. Nothing causes Jesus to panic. Hallelujah. 
You may have the biggest problem you've ever had. You may be standing in front of the biggest mountain that's ever been in your way. And I get it. We're human. We fear. We panic. We fret. We worry. We become anxious. But let me tell you, when Jesus is on the scene, a problem is nothing more than an opportunity for him to show his, forth his glory and to intervene on your behalf and to prove himself faithful to you uh, once again. Hallelujah. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have had Jesus take your problem and turn it into an opportunity to prove himself faithful? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's easy to praise the Lord about in church, but when tomorrow morning you're facing the problem, you and I need to remind ourselves, don't we, that this is a problem for me. But Lord Jesus, right now I come to you. Lord, this is a mountain. Uh, Lord, this is a wall in front of me. This is a dilemma, a difficulty, a problem. I don't see a way out. I don't see a way around. I don't see a way past it. But God, though to me it's a giant problem, Lord, right now I acknowledge that to you it's nothing more than an opportunity, hallelujah, for you to prove yourself faithful. Hallelujah. Let me challenge you to pray that prayer tomorrow morning. This week when you're facing problems that are too big for you. God, it's a problem to me, but to you, it's an opportunity. And I believe I'm going to see your hand at work. It may not be when I expect it. It may not be in the way I want it to happen. How many know we get an idea in our minds and we say, God, do this and do this and change that and do that. And God says, thanks for your advice, but I think I can handle it. Hallelujah. Because uh, last time I checked, I'm still God. Amen. And so he does something in a totally different way that we haven't expected, we haven't planned for, we didn't ask for, but he comes through because to him, a problem is nothing more than an opportunity. Do we believe that, church? Amen. We can count on Jesus to turn our situation around because with him, problems become opportunities. What's the second reason we can count on him to turn our situation around? It's because Jesus always responds to obedience. He always responds to obedience. After G, uh, Mary's interaction with Jesus, she turned to the servants there at the wedding banquet and she says, she says, speaking of Jesus, she says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you. If, if you're given to underlining scriptures in your Bible, underline that. Do whatever he tells you. Those are some of the simplest yet most profound words in all of Scripture. Do we, do we have a concept of how our lives would be different if that was a guiding principle in our lives? Do whatever he tells you. You, 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 you talk about a life principle. <laughs> And, and, and Mary had faith in Jesus that if his words were obeyed, that he would come through in a big way. Do whatever he tells you. Now, you know, we say sometimes, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And we mean it, right, at the time? Then Jesus tells us to do something and we're like, uh, uh, Lord? Uh, hello? Was that you? The, the, that wasn't, that, oh, that was you, okay. You know, because we don't always like what he tells us, right? 
It's fine in general. Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You want me to do that? You want me to do what? The specific is where we get hung up, right? Because look what Jesus told him. He said there were six stone water jars uh, for, used for ceremonial washing holding 20 to 30 gallons. Those are some big jars, okay? Six of them. Um, so so that's, that's between, I'm not a math major, but that's between uh, 120 and 150 gallons capacity. Jesus said, fill them with water. And it says they filled them to the brim. Okay, I, I don't, I imagine this. Can you imagine the servants talking to themselves? This guy said, fill them with water. We need wine. We fill them. But Mary said, do what he, Mary had some influence because said, Mary said, do what he tells us. So fill them with water. Okay. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Yeah, but this is water. Draw it out and take it to the master of the banquet. And it says they did so. It's a pattern throughout Scripture that God will very often, most of the time, require some act of obedience on our part before he provides the miracle. Moses was told by God first to cast his staff to the ground, and then when it became a snake, he was told, pick it up by the tail. Do you know that the worst thing you can do with a snake is try to pick it up by the tail? I mean, you watch, you know, you, you watch the nature shows, whatever. If anybody is brave enough to pick up a snake, well, they, they grab it right behind the head, right? Pick it up by the tail. Uh, God, that's unorthodox, but Moses did it. And God turned it back to a staff again. Remember Naaman, who was told to dip seven times in the muddy Jordan River to be healed of his leprosy? And he was offended. He said, our, our, our rivers back in Assyria are cleaner than this muddy Jordan River. But uh, the prophet had told him, go dip in the Jordan. And he did, and it was the key to his healing. Peter was told by Jesus and in John chapter 21, remember, he, he and his fellow disciples, some of them, they fished all night. These were professional fishermen. Fished all night, caught nothing. In the morning, Jesus is on the shore. Jesus says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Got an amateur telling the professionals, boy, that, that goes over great, doesn't it? They did, and they caught, they, they caught so many fish, their nets were breaking. So, uh, the, G, Jesus often requires an act of obedience before we see the miracle. So we play a part in Jesus turning our situation around. Heard a story about a Frenchman named Perrault Fay. He shared a powerful story of ob obedience in his book, Multiple Miracles. Since the time he converted to Christ in prison in 1995, thanks to a Bible someone gave him, he has learned to walk by obedience to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. He was the main speaker for an evangelistic meeting organized by the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship International. How many remember Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship? They would organize these, these meetings, often have them in different locations. Well, this meeting was being held in a swanky hotel where business and upper middle class uh, people would feel at home. And a lady wanted to come with her daughter who was into the punk lifestyle. Uh, she, the organizer asked Perot if he had any objection. No, not at all, he replied. 
uh, but he wondered why a girl like that would want to come. Well, she did come. Her hair uh, was uh, half-colored purple. The other half was shaved. She had rings in her nose, her ears on her lips, on her tongue. Uh, she was drugged out and had gothic-style makeup. Uh, just kind of stuck out a little bit in that uh, upper-middle-class crowd. And they had a meal. Uh, that was what they would do. They would have a meal and then have a meeting. And they had the meal. The meeting was about to start. And the band started playing some hymns. And the Holy Spirit spoke to uh, Perot, this main speaker, and said, get up in the front of the room and start to dance to that music. Uh, he started to argue with the Holy Spirit. He said, you know, dancing in front of everybody's not my thing. I'm more of a footballer, not a dancer. But the Spirit insisted, go to the front and dance. So he had no other choice. He took off his jacket. He got up front. He started dancing to this music. I don't know what the music was, but he started dancing. Fortunately for him, three other couples joined him. Then the Holy Spirit said, now go invite this punk girl to dance with you. Uh, Holy Spirit, are you sure it's you talking to me? It's probably what most of us would say, right? The Spirit answered and said, yes, it's me. Invite the girl to dance with you. This girl who was out of place. So he asked this young girl to dance with him. Unexpectedly, she got up and came to the front. As soon as she started dancing with him, the Holy Spirit came upon her, overwhelmed her. She fell to the floor, crying hot tears, and she was born again instantaneously on that dance floor. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon her. Unorthodox? Definitely. Powerful? Uh, indisputably. Hallelujah. That's what happens when we obey. And the key, some of you may have been waiting for a miracle, and you're praying and you're asking God, Jesus, why haven't you intervened in this situation? And there may be something he wants you to do. Maybe there's a, a, a part of your life that's not in agreement with scripture, part of your lifestyle, or something that, that you know you need to correct and you need to change. And, and it's willful disobedience, and, and God's put his finger on it, and you've been unwilling to change. That may be the key to you receiving your miracle. Or he may want you to take some other action, like, uh, like this speaker did at this conference that's unorthodox, that, that, truth be told, is weird, right, to most people. But he may want you to take that, to speak to someone, to do something, to do an act of faith, to give something financially, whatever it might be. And he wants you to do it. Whatever he says to you, Mary said, do it. Do it. What is Jesus speaking into your life, into your heart today? What word from him have you brushed aside, you know, just, just chosen not to acknowledge whatever he says to you, do it, because Jesus always responds to obedience. I want to be obedient to him. I don't want to be the reason that a miracle doesn't come because of my disobedient heart. How about you? 
He always responds to obedience. What's the third reason we can count on Jesus to turn our situation around? Because Jesus produces the extraordinary out of the ordinary. They poured the water, they drew it out and poured it uh, to the master of the banquet. He tasted it and he didn't realize where it had come from. He said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. And you know what the text says. He says, you know, most people, they bring out the, be- the, the good stuff at the beginning. And people have had a little, you know, a lot to drink and, you know, they're, they're a little less picky, right? They bring, they bring out the cheap stuff. But not, no, not you. You brought out the best stuff. Jesus turned ordinary, and he didn't, he didn't turn ordinary wine into great wine. He turned ordinary water, H2O, into the best wine anyone had ever tasted. That's what he does. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. He takes a little and makes a lot. He takes our little nothing our little, he, he, he took a, as I mentioned before, a, 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 a little lad's lunch and turned it into a feast for thousands. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary because that's who he is. That's what he does. He is generous. He is overwhelming. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. He wants to turn your situation around. Our movement, our denomination that we belong to, the Assemblies of God, began in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914, over 100 years ago. 300 people gathered together, dissatisfied with the denominations they were part of. 300 people gathered in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914. Out of that relatively small gathering today, The Assemblies of God is the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world with over 68 million members, over 367,000 congregations in 190 countries from that small gathering, from an ordinary gathering. He's turned it into a worldwide movement of the fullness of the power of God. And that's what he does. You've heard stories, even in the natural world. You know, Apple is the most valuable company in the world. You know, you know the story. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak started it in Steve Jobs' parents' garage. Now it's a mega company. Churches that start in homes become mega churches because Jesus takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. He he just overwhelms us with his blessing, with his goodness, with his ability to turn virtually nothing into something spectacular. He's a good God. We say he's a good God, and he is a good God, but he's more than a good God. He's a spectacular God. 
He is an overwhelming God. Come on. He is an all-surpassing God. He is an all-encompassing God. Hallelujah. He is the one who spoke the universe into existence. He is the one who keeps the planets circling the sun. He is the one who gives us life and health and breath every single day. The scripture says in him all things consist. He is the one who holds all things together. He's not just a good God. He's a spectacular God. He's an overwhelming God. Hallelujah. He's an all-powerful God. Hallelujah. He's a God who's sovereign. He's a God who's in control. He's a God who does above what we can ask or think or as Paul said, even imagine. Imagine uh, the best blessing and the best thing God can do for you. He will far surpass that because that's the kind of God he is. Hallelujah. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We can believe him for big things. We can believe him for great things. Hallelujah. Don't tell me we can't count on Jesus to turn our situation around. Well, Pastor, I, I, I know that story you shared. and I, Yeah, I've heard other people. Get, but my situation, we, we think we're special in a bad way sometimes. I, I, yeah, I have heard the stories, but shh. I mean, if you knew the problems I have, well, I don't have to know. He knows. And you're not special in a bad way. Your problems are not too big for God. Your little ordinary something that you offer to him, he'll turn into something extraordinary if you'll let him. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Come on. Glory to God. Conclusion this morning, verse 11 says that this first recorded miracle of Jesus revealed his glory and caused his disciples to put their faith in him. I submit to you this morning, we too should put our faith in him. Not just one time, but in every situation. Did you hear me? In every situation. It's amazing. I've said this many, many times over 31 plus years here in this pulpit. Some of you have heard me say it. It's amazing to me, and I include myself in this, how we can see God just do unbelievable, awesome things in our lives. Right? Have you seen, have you seen God do that? And we face a mountain, we face a problem, and we start to doubt. And we fret, and we worry, and become anxious. And I've done it. And, and, and in a, and a brief moment of clarity, the thought will come to me, have you forgotten what the God of the universe has done for you? Have you forgotten the mountains he's moved for you? And I say, oh God, oh Jesus, you've moved mountains for me before. You've done the unthinkable, unthinkable, the unimaginable for me before. Lord, I'm going to believe for you to do it again. I'm going to put my faith in you. So that's why I say, put our faith in him in every situation. Put your faith in him again. Express your faith in him again. Verbalize your faith. Walk in faith. Why can we count on Jesus to turn our situation around? First, because with Jesus, problems become opportunities. 
problems become opportunities for him to come through for you and me and to reveal his glory. Secondly, we can count on him to turn our situation around because Jesus always responds to obedience. What is he telling you and me to do? What step is he telling us to take? I thought, I, I, I didn't mention this before, I thought of another. You remember when, when Joshua had the Israelites cross the Jordan River? The Levites who were carrying the Ark of God, what did they have to do? They had to step into the water before the waters parted. Jesus responds to our obedience. What does he want you to do? And thirdly, we can count on Jesus to turn our situation around because Jesus produces the extraordinary out of the ordinary. He takes us to a better place. He produces something greater than we could have uh, conceived of or imagined. Because that's just who he is. 